0: Number 14, the Word of God says, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks, and said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves." For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to be in Your house. I pray that You'd speak to the hearts of Your people. Lord, I pray that You would help me and strengthen me, Lord. But I pray that it would be only Your Son, Jesus Christ, that would be lifted up in this place this morning. We'd see Him as high and holy, separate from sinners. But Lord, still willing to reach down into the miry clay that the sinner finds himself in, still willing to reach down and lift us out. Father, we love You. We thank You, Lord. We praise You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise You for for salvation. We praise You for the Holy Ghost. Just ask that You'd be glorified, Lord. We love You. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. You'll find as you read the Word of God that our Savior is our chief example in all matters. You know, you can look to the life of Jesus Christ in any circumstance that you're in. You may not find a particular example of Him in the same circumstance and how He behaved, but you'll always find in principle the way that our attitude and the way that our Christian character ought to be. This next Thursday, most of us, as has already been mentioned, will sit down at a table with enough uh, food to feed a small third world country, and we'll loosen our belts and we'll eat and we'll enjoy family and fellowship and food, and we'll have a good time and we'll sit back, and we will, some of us out of obligation, just for the namesake of the season, will begin to talk about things that we're thankful for. You know, gratitude is not something that should pepper in season only one or two days a year. But gratitude ought to be the approach to the everyday of things for the believer. And in this way, our Savior left us a splendid example of how we are to live and the thanksgiving that we are to give To God the Father. You know, the book of James says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If you have anything that you need to be thankful in your life for, then you need to be thankful to God for it in your life. Now, I understand that we may be thankful to our spouse. We ought to be thankful to our spouse, thankful maybe to our children, thankful to our friends, our family our church family, but in the same way that when David sinned, he looked towards heaven and said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. If we were to look at the opposite side of that spectrum, we could say that no matter who God has blessed us with, no matter who God has used to bless us with, we can always point our finger towards heaven, lift our eyes in benevolence to the God of heaven, and say, it's been you that's been good to me. If you had the health to be here this morning, or if you're like some of us, you didn't have the health, but you're here anyway, then it's only because God allowed you to be here. If you rolled out of bed this morning, it's because God allowed you to be here. If you had a couple legs that carried you out the front door, it may have been speedily, it may have been slowly, but that's the good God of heaven that has afforded you that privilege. The very fact that your lungs have the strength and the capacity to breathe in the air which God has blessed us with is a blessing from God. And certainly we wouldn't be in this room if we hadn't gained the greatest blessing that there can be. And that's to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and... Savior. Now, there may be someone in here that's not saved, and I would say to you this morning that you don't have to leave here without the cross of Calvary colliding with your sin nature and changing your life for the glory of God. What I'm saying is we're a blessed people this morning, well, to learn how to give thanks, well, to learn how to look towards heaven. You know, they say that a pig has no capacity to look up. He can only look to the side, he can only look down, but he has no capacity to look up Uh, All through the Word of God, swine and pigs are identified with that which is unclean. And I hate to say it, but a lot of us are like just a selfish, gluttonous old hog. God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us, but never do we lift our eyes up to heaven to thank Him for what He's done. I think we need to learn how to be more thankful. I think we need to comprehend the truth of gratitude. And I can think of no better way to do it than to look at our Savior's example this morning. You'll find four times in the uh, earthly ministry of our Lord and Savior, four times, and I'm sure it happened many, many other times, but four that are recorded for our benefit when our Lord stopped. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. He's the Creator. The Bible says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I mean, you understand that He's not just the, He is the Son of God, but He's not just the Son of God. He's also God the Son. He is the Creator. If there was anybody that had the right to say what I've done, I've done in my own strength, I owe no man anything, it surely would have been God the Son, the Creator of everything that is around us. But four times in Scripture, He stops what He's doing that He might purposefully and publicly give thanks to His Father. And I want us to take a moment this morning and look at these four things. We've read one of such instances in Luke chapter 22. It's the night before our Lord will be crucified. He makes that abundantly clear. He says, I want to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's just hours before He'll be in the garden, before the soldiers and before the priests will be coming for Him. It's just a matter of hours before He'll be taken before a kangaroo court and pronounced to be guilty of being a blasphemer It's just a few hours before his beard will be plucked out, before the cat of nine tails will be laid across his back, just a few short hours before he'll be nailed upon a rugged cross, suspended as a divine bridge between God and man for you and I. And he stops to give thanks. And what's he thanking the Lord for? Well, he speaks about the blood and the body. He speaks about the cup and the bread. And he says, Lord, I want to thank you. Now stop and comprehend that for a moment. Hey, this isn't even my message, but can I say that we ought to thank him for our suffering too? We ought to thank him for our suffering too. You say, I don't feel like it, preacher. I don't ask you to feel like it. And I don't think God asks you to feel like it either. He just asks us to do it. Amen? That's an attitude and action of faith to thank God for our suffering. But what he's really thanking God for, because suffering has no intrinsic value in and of itself, God's not a sadist. He he takes no no pleasure in simply seeing people in pain. But the Bible says in Isaiah 53 uh, that when he poured out his soul unto death, said that the Lord was satisfied when he saw the travail of his soul because it would bring many unto righteousness. I'd say this morning that we ought to learn to be thankful for the propitiation of salvation. We ought to be thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. We ought to be thankful for the cross of Calvary. Now, hold on a minute. Some of you are going to say, Oh, preacher, I know, of course, yes, we're all thankful. But therein lies the problem, is that we've gotten to a place where we say, Oh, yeah, preacher, I'm thankful. You remember when you were all struck by the cross? You remember when if you just drew your mind's eye upon that picture of the bloodied and bruised and beaten and crucified Lord, when it was enough to shake the very foundations of your soul. You see, true gratitude stands in awe that the giver would bless the receiver. True gratitude stands in awe at the magnitude of the gift that is given. I remember one time, one of the very few memories that I've got from when I was young. I don't know why, maybe a psychiatrist will help me figure out why I blocked it all out. I don't know, but I don't have a lot of memories of when I was a real, real young boy. And uh, But one of the memories that I do remember, and I don't know how old I must have been, probably about five or six, is I remember a Christmas morning when we all, uh, or I guess it was a Christmas night. We never opened on Christmas morning. Uh, we just always stayed up late on Christmas Eve. That was how our family did it. And I remember gathering around, and I remember us all opening presents. Now, if if I was about five, six years old, this is the early 90s, you understand. I know that I look much older, but I'm really not. But I remember the look on my brother's face when he tore open a package and within it stood a brand new video game console. And he did something, and it's really not dawned on me until this very moment that it may be where my son gets it from, because my son will do the very same thing. I remember seeing my brother literally vibrate with excitement over this video game console. My own boy will do that. If you get him excited enough, I mean, he'll, he'll just shake, amen? I mean, it's enough to shake you when he shakes. Just the excitement, just the sheer awe that was struck over the magnitude of the gift that was given. And yet many of us approach the cross of Calvary with a flippant and cavalier attitude. With a notion that, sure, God did that for us. He ought to have done that for us. Let me serve notice on you this morning that God didn't have to do that for you. God didn't have to send His Son to the cross of Calvary for you. It didn't make Him any more God when He did that. He was God before. He was God after. He's still God today. And God did not have to do that for you, but God chose to bind Himself by His Word and His promise that by two immutable things in the which it was impossible for God to lie, He laid down upon prophetic Scripture that He would send forth a lamb that would be slain for your sins and my sins. God didn't have to do that for you, neighbor, but God chose to do that for you that He might express and exemplify His love and His grace towards you, and we ought never get over the cross of Calvary it ought to it ought to strike an awe in us at all times if you can't thank god for anything else and by the way you can thank god for something else The Bible says that we are to be thankful in all in everything. That's what 1 Thessalonians, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Lots of ungrateful people praying for the will of God when they're not fulfilling the will of God in their life just by virtue of their ungratefulness. It's the will of God that you give thanks in everything. And I think the cross of Calvary is a good place to start. Turn with me to John chapter 11. I see that our Lord was thankful for the propitiation of salvation. He was thankful for the blood that was shed. He was thankful for the body that was broken. Not a bone in Him was broken, but His body was broken for us. The Bible says in Isaiah 52 that His visage was marred. That means uh, that literally if you were to look upon Him, He wouldn't have even looked human. And the Lord said we ought to be thankful for this. And even He thanked God the Father. John chapter 11. I want us to read another one. Look at verse 41 with me. The Word of God says, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Now, let me pause there. If you know your Bible, then you know right where we're at. We find ourselves in Bethany in front of a lonely tomb, wherein lies a man by the name of Lazarus, whom the Lord loved, the Bible tells us. The Jews are weeping all about. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, are weeping. They're confused. They cannot understand. They looked to the Lord and they said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother whom thou lovest would not have died. And that's exactly true. You know that Jesus, every funeral he ever went to, he broke it up. Nobody ever died in the presence of Jesus Christ. They only ever lived. And so here we stand outside this lonely tomb. A lot of confused folks. A lot of discouraged folks. A lot of hopeless folks. The Bible says that when he came to this place, he said, roll the stone away. They said, Lord, by this time he stinketh. By this time he stinketh. But the Lord knew something they didn't. And he said, roll the stone away. And they took the stone away from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lift up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. In the next few words, our Lord will utter forth, A phrase that is packed with enough power that had he not distinguished the person he was speaking to as Lazarus, it would have caused the crust of the earth to explode with the resurrection of those called forth by their creator and the prince of life to live once again. He would say, Lazarus, come forth. But before he ever does, he stops and he looks towards his father and he says, Father, I want to thank thee that thou hast heard me. Can I say that we ought to be thankful for the propitiation of salvation? But as believers, we ought to be thankful for prayer and supplication. We ought to be thankful that we've got a God that hears us. You know what I find fascinating? The Lord did not say, I thank thee that thou answerest me. Whoa. He didn't say, I'm thankful that thou answerest me. He says, I'm thankful that thou hast heard. May, Oh, we may be thankful for answered prayers, but I wonder how many of us are thankful simply for heard prayers, simply for this truth that we have the privilege to go into the Holy of Holies. Do you understand the grand privilege it is to pray? Do you understand the, the magnitude of what it means for us to enter into the throne room of grace? In the Old Testament, the uh, tabernacle and later on the temple was divided into three main sections. There was the outer court in which uh, just about anyone could go. There was the holy place, as it was called. And it was the place where only the Levitical priests could go. And they would do the majority of their ministry in this holy place. Uh, they would offer the majority of sacrifices. But then within and beyond this holy place, there was a third place that the Bible calls the most holy or the holiest of holies. Within this place sat the Ark of the Covenant. Within this place, the Shekinah glory of God would come down and rest upon the mercy seat that was built into the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. And once a year, today we call it Yom Kippur. It is known as the Jewish Day of Atonement. On one day a year, the high priest would enter in with a spotless sacrifice. Whenever he would enter into this place, it said that bells would be tied at the bottom of his priestly garment, and a rope would be tied about his waist. You say, preacher, what's that for? Because if the high priest went into the holy place without having confessed his sins and given sacrifice to the Lord already, then it said that God would strike him dead. He would fall to the ground. They'd stop, they'd hear the bells stop ringing, and they would begin to pull the rope to drag his lifeless body out. There in that place only could God be met with in such a personal way. I'm not saying prayer is unique to the New Testament. It's not. But I'm saying the fellowship and communion that we can have with God is very much unique to the New Covenant. Because in this one place, God would meet with His people, with one person that would go in under the threat of death were He to have anything in His life unconfessed and unsacrificed for. But you know, an interesting thing happened one day. We just read about the crucifixion just a little bit. Do you know that when our Lord was hanging upon the cross, uh, that in the midst of the darkness that shrouded the earth, in the midst of the seven cries that were uttered forth uh, from the most holy place that man has ever been able to lay his eyes upon, that in the midst of that time in the temple, the priests were preparing for the Passover. You can imagine the busyness of that day as they run around and make preparation. There they are in the holy place. Off behind them they see a veil that is approximately three inches thick that is 15 foot high. They know not to go near it. They know not to disturb it, for it bears a warning upon it that any man that comes therein could die. And there they are busily about their work. There they are trying to prepare things for the sacrifice. And then all of a sudden, by a lamplight, by that candle that was kept lit in the midst of the sanctuary, while darkness shrouds the earth, they hear the noise of a tearing take place, and they turn and cast eyes upon that veil that was a barrier, that was a Prevention from them coming into communion with God. And from the top to the bottom as if torn by divine hands of the Holy Ghost, that veil is rent in two and an access is made for man to have communion with God. That's a remarkable thing. We ought to never take it for granted. We ought to never take lightly the privilege that it is to bow a knee and to enter into the throne room of grace. Oh, we ought not to be fearful for the Bible exhorts us to come boldly before the throne of grace, but we'll never come flippantly before the throne of grace. We ought to thank God that we're able to pray. Instead of complaining that we've got to make time for prayer, we ought to thank God that we've got the privilege of prayer. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 10. Let's look at a third. Luke chapter number 10. We ought to be thankful for the propitiation of salvation, the blood of Christ. Well, to be thankful for prayer and supplication that we can talk to an Almighty God. But look with me in Luke chapter number 10 and look at verse 17. The Word of God says, And the seventy returned again with joy. You say, where have they been? Well, it tells us, In verse number 1 of this chapter, "...after these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place, whither He Himself would come." And the Bible tells us in chapter number 9 about that first seventy that they went forth preaching, casting out devils, and performing miracles. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, "...Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through Thy name." And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in Thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them." Picture it with me, if you will. The seventy have returned, and they are elated that they have been able to go forth preaching. They've seen the power of God manifest in a way that generations have longed to see, but never have seen. And when they come to the Lord and they tell Him what's happened, He says, that's wonderful, that's a blessed thing. Uh, That's wonderful that you've cast out devils, but listen, there's something better than that. You ought to rejoice that your name's written in heaven. And in the midst of that jubilant scene, he looks towards the Lord and said, Lord, I want to thank you that you've revealed these things to babes and not to the wise and the prudent." What's he talking about? He's talking about the things that the disciples had seen through serving him. And I'd say we ought to be thankful for the privilege of serving. We ought to be thankful for the privilege of, of serving God. Now, I'm not up here today to beat up anybody. I'm not up here to make anybody feel bad. I'm not up here to fuss anybody for uh, not being here or not being there. I just want to say that sometimes service gets to be a burden to us when it ought always to be viewed as a blessing to us. Sometimes we look at it and we say, well, I've got to go in, I've got to do it again, I've got to do that. Can I tell you something? There's folks for many generations that would have longed to be in the service of God Almighty but through the grace of Calvary, you and I have been counted as fellow laborers of Jesus Christ and joint heirs with Him. Can you imagine the privilege it is? I mean, we live in a world where people are employed by bosses they hate, by companies they can't stand. Uh, we live in a world where folks feel like they're in shackles and chains all the time. And the great tragedy is sometimes even God's folks try to act like serving the Lord is a bondage and is chains about them. But can I say that it is a blessing that we get to serve the King of kings. You ought to count it an honor. You ought to count it an honor to get to come through the double doors of a church house. Not because of me, not because of this church, but because you're saved and you've been counted worthy to be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Next time that the Holy Ghost tells you to give a tract, next time that the Holy Ghost says, talk to that person, instead of groaning and grunting and sighing, you ought to stop and say, Lord, I just want to thank you that you trust me enough with a man's eternal soul as to have me be a witness to them. I mean, that's a privilege, friend. It's a privilege to be able to serve. Never have we lived in a day, and I'm trying to be very careful with how I say this because I don't have a whole lot of words left, amen. But we live in a day where, where the leverage has shifted. And folks go around thinking that the house of God needs them. I'm just telling you the truth now. Folks think that they have something that they can barter with God and that the house of God needs them awful bad. God help us when we get to the place that we think we're on higher ground than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of how bad your church needs you, friend. It's a bad matter of how bad you need your church. We got this idea sometimes that uh, serving and doing is all just a matter. of Well, you know, I've got to go do it. Nobody else will go do it. No, listen, friend, God will bring someone to do it if we'll do it with a bad attitude. But if we're willing to do it as unto the Lord Jesus Christ, hey, the Lord loved the cheerful giver, I think the Lord loveth the cheerful server too. And I think we ought to look at it as a privilege, not just a burden. Now, before I before I move on, can I say I know what it's like. I know what it is not to feel well. I know what it is to feel like, uh, like you're being uh, left holding the bag. I know what it is to feel as though no one else is doing their part. And they say that churches are like any other business or organization in this, that you have the 80-20 principle. Most of the time you've got 20% of the people doing uh, the work for the 80% of those that aren't. I'm aware of that. And I know what it's like to get discouraged. But when those times come, you know what we ought to do? We ought to have just a little bit of a reality check in the presence of God where we stop and think about all the folks in this world that give anything to have a Bible to read, that give anything uh, to know enough about the Bible to witness to somebody. We ought to think about all the folks in this world. Listen, folks, are this morning there's folks that are in danger of going to jail for doing what we're doing here. We ought to learn to thank God for the privilege of serving Him. Let me give you one more. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter number 6. We ought to be thankful for the propitiation of salvation, for the cross of Calvary. We ought to be thankful for the prayers and supplications that we can offer the closet of prayer. We ought to be thankful for the privilege of serving, that we can serve God and the honor that it is to be counted worthy. But look with me at John chapter number 6. And I want to give you a very simple one to close. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, And Jesus took the loaves. You know what loaves? The loaves that were brought to him by the little lad. Here there's 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children gathered on the hillside and they're hungry. And this little boy brings these loaves and these fishes and says, I've not got much, but everything I've got is yours. And Jesus took the loaves. And when He had given thanks, He distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down. And notice this phrase, "...and likewise of the fishes as much as they would." We ought to be thankful for the provision of sufficiency. Isn't it interesting? And if you read on in that chapter, you'll find how that the Bible says in the next verse, "...they ate till they were filled." We ought to be thankful that God meets our needs. We ought to be thankful that God meets our needs. Isn't it interesting that God didn't give them just exactly what they needed? God gave them twelve basketfuls over and above what they needed. There's lots of times when we say, well, the Lord meets my needs. But if we were really to be honest, we'd have to admit that the Lord exceeds our needs. There's lots of things in our life that we don't need that God blesses us with. I open up my closet and I see uh, just a rack full of suits. And I think to myself, there's preacher boys around this world and national pastors in this world that they don't even have one suit to wear. And oh, how I'm blessed. I open my refrigerator and you know how it is. I remember growing up, we'd be riding home. And uh, we'd be riding home with mom and dad and we'd be trying to figure out what we was going to do for supper. And... uh I'd say, I'm starving. Because, you know, kids, they, I mean, that's that's a real danger on Sunday afternoons, that your kid's going to starve to death on the way home to church. And they'd say, we got baloney at home. You, you can picture which one was saying that, can't you? As Dad. We got baloney at home. I'd say, I don't want baloney. He'd say, then you ain't starving. I remember they used to tell me about a time when my sister was little bitty, long, long time ago, when when she was just a baby, you know. And she, she was just a, a, a little tyke, and they were riding home from church. And at that time, you know, the, the Friezo was, was down there, and folks would stop off at the Friezo, and they were riding home. And she said, uh, she said, I want some Friezo. And they said, well, we might just have to stop at the store and get stuff to make sandwiches. And she said, no, I want frizo And they said, no, the store. She said, I want frizo They said, how about bologna sandwiches? She said, all right, let's stop at the store. (laughs) What I'm saying is this. Most of us, we have more than we need. And I don't say that to browbeat us. That's not capitalist guilt. That's not uh, American exceptionalism uh, apology. I'm just saying that most of us, God has not just blessed us with what we need. God's blessed us with over and above what we need. I mean, listen, the very fact, if you work a job, the reason you've got the health to do it is because God's blessed you with it. I mean, the reason you've got a roof over your head, the reason you've got the house that you've got, the reason you had a car to get you here this morning is because there's a good God in heaven that. God has blessed you with it. And we ought to learn to be thankful. We ought to take inventory occasionally. You all look around. Next time you're getting that bag ready for the goodwill, you all to look around and just thank God that you got so much junk you're having to throw it away. That's the truth now. Have so much stuff you're having to give it away. But you don't want to throw it away because it's too good to throw away. You want to give it away. I'm talking to you women. Amen? <laughs> you know who I'm talking to this morning husbands say, well, we'll just throw it away. No, that's too good to throw away. So We'll give it to the goodwill. Why, they don't need it. Well, it's too good to throw away. Then the husbands sneak and throw it away when they ain't looking anyway. (laughs) I can hear some of the women grumbling out there. Well, he just hadn't seen it. It's nice. (laughs) You see, the reality is, most of the time it is too good to throw away. That just tells me how blessed we are we've got things that don't belong in the trash heap that we've got too much of and we don't know what to do with I'm saying God's blessed us Well, have to learn to be thankful for that next time we're grumbling cuz we don't have that that nicer car or that or that new ha- I'm ta- I'm preaching to me this morning we got we got a sign in our yard we're trying to sell ours Next time that we get tempted to grumble and complain, wanting a nicer house or a better car, a nicer suit of clothes or a bigger TV, we ought to just stop for a minute, look around at all that God's blessed us with, and just look towards heaven and say, Lord, I want to thank you for what I do have, instead of complain about what I don't have. We ought to be thankful. Gratitude is something that shouldn't be reserved for November 27th, 28th. It's not something that should be reserved just for this time of the year. And you know the great tragedy of it? Gratitude has become something that comes in seasonally, that people only talk about at the same time that they talk about about pumpkins and pecan pies and coffee and, and sitting by the fire. Got into a place where it's just a seasonal thing. And maybe I'm just contributing to the problem, preaching it at Thanksgiving, but I think we need it all the time. We need to learn to be thankful to God for what He's done. I wonder how many of us God has pricked our hearts this morning and said, you know, you've not exhibited an attitude of thankfulness. When we're unthankful, we're out of the will of God. So, oh, preacher, that's a stretch. No, not really. When the Lord says, "In everything give thanks for this is the will of God, I'd say we have some solid scriptural authority to say that when we're unthankful, we're out of the will of God. We may not be out of the will of God with where we work or live or who we're married to but we're out of the will of God in our attitude. And I wonder how many of us would have to be honest with heaven this morning and say, you know, I've not been thankful like I need to be, and I need to get in front of an altar on my face before the Lord and ask His forgiveness. I need to get my life corrected. Don't go by what you feel this morning. Go by what the Word of God says. Don't just say, well, the Lord ain't beat my head and dragged me down to that altar, so I ain't going... Go by what the Lord has said in His Word. And if you'd have to say, Preacher, that's me. I want you to have an opportunity to get alone with the Lord. Ask His forgiveness and ask Him to adjust that attitude of gratitude that we all need to have with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.